Hey, we are so excited that you have chosen to be with us again this weekend as we continue the series Bulletproof. For the last few weeks, we've been kind of taking a look at how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, uh, impacts, how it affects, how it sometimes course corrects this incredible thing called marriage. And Julie and I have been married for almost, not quite, 25 years, and we have heard that some, yeah, thank you very much, Julie got a round of applause there. We've heard that sometimes marriage can be a challenge. How many of you have heard that? Maybe you know people who have been challenged in marriage before, but. This was awkward. I didn't know if I should raise my hand. <laughs> no, people you know. Oh. Okay. But one of the challenges that we have encountered in our home and that I know affects a lot of married couples is who controls the remote control to the TV in the house. If you've ever struggled with that in your house, let me see a show of hands. It's just kind of a universal thing. I believe that all the way back in Genesis when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had fights over the remote control. And in our household, there, there's, a, there's a commercial that I'm going to share with you here in just a second that is so great. I feel like Julie needs to see it three and four times every time it plays on TV. And it actually connects directly to what we're talking about today. Take a look at my favorite commercial on TV right now. Whoa. Father, why can't we have direct TV like the McGregors do? We're settlers, son. We settle for things like having cable instead of direct TV. Hey, Jebediah, how's it going? Working the land, hoping for a fertile spring. All right. So we have to live with lower customer satisfaction? I'm afraid so. Now, go churn us some butter, boy and then make your own clothes. Yes, sir. Don't be a sailor. Yeah. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Working the land, hoping for a fertile spring. Go turn some is... butter and make your own clothes, boy. <laughs> I love that commercial. And if it sounds like we haven't memorized, it's because literally when he says we watch it three and four times, every time it comes on, he's not exaggerating. I just love every that time. guy next door getting out of the minivan and going, hey, Jedediah. I thought that was funny. But anyway, you know, it's one thing to settle for cable over satellite TV, but it's entirely another to settle for mediocrity in marriage. And that's kind of what we wanted to discuss with you today as we continue this series, because to settle for good enough or better than some in marriage is a tragedy and a travesty that tarnishes the amazing treasure that marriage is designed to be. If you've got your Bibles with you, or maybe you've got it on your phone, look in John chapter 10. I'm going to get there in just a second, but as you're looking up John chapter 10, I want to point something out to you that is especially relevant for what we're talking about today, but I hope you notice that we do this every single time that we gather together. And that is this that we definitely look at what the Bible says and we learn what God has said in there, but it's also about how does the gospel, how does the good news impact, how does it permeate and penetrate every single facet of life, Monday through Saturday, so that it's not just a Sunday morning kind of thing that we do because we get up and we go to church, but it's actually how does this work day in and day out in our real lives not only if we're married, if you're a single adult or you're a student or maybe you're in a position of life that doesn't necessarily connect to marriage today, the gospel of Jesus Christ 
connects to every single part of life. And particularly, as we look at the subject of marriage, I want to ask you a question. How many of you in the room right now, you are not married at this moment? Let me just see a show of hands if you're not married. Okay, listen. Here's the great news for you. Yes, we're talking about marriage, but statistically more than 95% of people will be married at some point in their lives. And so what we talk about over, the, over this series, Bulletproof, when we talk about marriage, this for you is advanced study. You get to file this away, and if and when God leads you to get married, you don't have to do the remedial work that those of us who are married get to do sometimes. Kind of do a little relationship rehab, if you will. You get to file this away, and what we're talking about today in terms of not settling for marital mediocrity applies to every single part of life. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. It's a very clear statement of intent. It's a declaration of his purposes in abandoning heaven and occupying earth. Look at what Jesus said. He was talking about Satan. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it to the full. So, so Jesus makes this incredible statement that his purpose is to give you and me life, abundant life, overflowing life, the life that is truly life. And so doesn't it make sense that the same one who made that statement, who also, by the way, authored marriage, who ordained marriage between a man and a woman at the beginning of time, this same one would want our marriages to thrive and to absolutely flourish beyond just settling for good enough. And I love, there's another version of John 10, 10 that says that Jesus comes into this world. He came into our lives so that we could have a life better than we could ever imagine. Yeah. And so, so often when we come into marriage, we come in with these great expectations. We imagine this wonderful relationship, but the majority of time, we come in with great expectations, but very little preparation. <laughs> and so we're very fortunate that God does give us directives, that he does give us commands, because here is the truth about marriage and every other part of life. Our creator gives us guidelines in his word. And if we choose, and it's our choice whether or not to do this, if we choose to submit our lives to his directives, to submit our lives to his word, then our lives work better. And that is certainly true when it comes to marriage. Um, several years ago, Kaylee Wilson, who is on our church staff, she is about 25 years old, and she and her family had planned a two-week vacation at the beach. They were renting a house, and so mom, dad, Kaylee, and her brother Reed were headed to the beach for two weeks. They were so excited. So they get down there, and not long after they got down there, Kaylee realized that she was breaking out in this strange rash all over her body. And so she thought, gosh, I must be allergic to something in this house. And she didn't think that much about it. So she goes to bed. She wakes up the next morning. This was the first night of their two-week vacation. She wakes up the next morning. She has hives all over her and a fever. And so she thinks to herself, okay, maybe there was a cat in this room at some point because, you know, maybe I'm allergic. I'll sleep on the sofa tonight. A cat or some other agent of Satan, something else that could have been in the room there. 
he has a personal vendetta against cats and avocados. And <laughs> so Kaylee moves to... I went to, to seminary, okay? <laughs> oh, I try to right make that a spiritual thing. That's good. So Kaylee moves to the sofa. She sleeps on the sofa that night. She wakes up the next morning, hives all over her, the fever. That she, so she eventually goes to the emergency room to treat the symptoms. They consider everything. <clears throat> they think of all the things that she could be allergic to. They wash everything in the house. They clean the carpet. They're thinking, what on earth is causing this allergic reaction? Well, it never goes away. After even the hospital, and so they treated some of the symptoms, but it never went away. So, as every good daughter would do, she said, hey, mom, let's get out of here. And so, <laughs> Deanne, her mother, and Kaylee leave Russell and Reed at the beach. And so, for the rest of their family vacation, um, they spend the rest of the time with a family who lives close by. And then all of her symptoms went away. No more hives, no more rash, no more fever. Fast forward six months later. Now remember, they had considered everything that it possibly could be, and they never could figure it out. Six months later, Kaylee is at a friend's house. They're talking. She drinks a glass of orange juice. All of a sudden, her whole body breaks out in hives. Well, obviously, problem, mystery solved. The mystery allergy that Kaylee had the entire time at the beach was orange juice. What she remembered was as they were looking for every outside source, every external factor to figure out what was triggering these allergic reactions, Kaylee was drinking orange juice the whole time. That was her go-to. The worse she would feel, the more orange juice that she would drink. You see, Kaylee kept looking to see what was causing all the problems when in reality, Kaylee was causing her own problems <laughs> over and over and over again. Now, some of you may be thinking, wow, Julie, this is an interesting infomercial about allergies. But it does translate to marriage. How many times do we identify problems, negative symptoms in our marriage? Why are you pointing at me? <laughs> negative symptoms in our marriage. I'm just kidding. And, and then we look to all the outside sources, all external factors to try to figure out what is negatively affecting our marriage when in reality it's very possible that we are the ones ourselves negatively affecting our marriage, that we are the ones. Because if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, then we can so easily and quickly allow behaviors to enter our marriage, attitudes to enter our marriage, and those behaviors become bad habits, and those attitudes become fixed mindsets that infect and negatively affect the healthy marriage that God created us to have. Last week, we talked about the Ten Commandments of marriage. We talked about fortifying your marriage by building a wall around it, by proactively and intentionally putting into place safeguards in your marriage, making decisions to build a strong marriage. And the wall sim you know, was symbolic. It kept the bad stuff out, and it kept the good stuff in. But as we learn from Kaylee's story, and if we honestly look at our own marriages, then we can see how within that wall of our marriage, again, if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we can allow those negative behaviors, those negative attitudes to creep in and become bad habits and fixed mindsets that 
eat up our marriage, disintegrate our marriages from the inside out. Good news. Good news. God's word offers a solution. He knows his people, and he knows we need very clear directives. And he gives us that in the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as types of evil behavior. Again, see, the negative creeping in. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That sounds like a solution for a strong marriage. <laughs> no doubt about it. You know, I think if you look at these two verses in Ephesians chapter 4, you see an incredible template for marriage. There's an incredible thing of what to avoid, but also what to do. And just in these two verses, there's kind of what we've kind of labeled the marriage makers and breakers. Because the fact of the matter is, we all make choices all the time as husbands and wives. We make these choices in every relationship, but especially in marriage. Don't raise your hand on this one, but I want to ask you a rhetorical question. How many of us have, have discovered that it's really in marriage that we can find the absolute worst in ourselves? Is anybody, maybe you could raise your hand on that. I'm just saying, maybe I'm the only one. I just know I'm so capable of being relationally stupid. And nowhere have I found that more than in marriage to Julie. What's funny is when we dated, uh, we dated long distance for two years. We never lived in the same town until we got married. And it, so far it seems to be holding, but it was really funny. I remember when we got married, when we were dating, if we got on different pages or like she didn't like my tone of voice on a phone call when we used to talk long distance and all those kind of things, we could just hang up the phone. Or, or if you, you know, kind of got on different pages or maybe you even got in a little bit of a tiff, you go home. But when you're married, how many of us know there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide? You sleep in the same room, hopefully, if you're married. And it's when you're married, you've got to learn how to resolve those problems when they crop up. Now, real quickly, look, I want to flash Ephesians 4.31 up there again. Look at that first verse in terms of the marriage breakers. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. The two things I want to point out about that. Number one, he says, get rid of these things. That verb in the original Greek is, is in the imperative. That means it's a command. It means do this, which tells us great news. It's a choice. I have a choice to make about whether or not I get rid of my bitterness, whether I get rid of my rage, my harsh words, my slander. You know what slander is, don't you? Slander is when you tell the truth about somebody in order to hurt them. Slander, like if you're married and you say something like, you are just like your father. Ooh, that may be true, but it's probably not being said in that particular case to help or to be constructive. You know what? You feel me on that one? So, Maybe not. Wow. But anyway, it's a choice that we have. I have the choice. Julie has, you have, everybody say this together. I have a choice. I have a choice. I have a choice, which means I've got hope to make things better 
going forward. I have a role to play in making things better going forward. The second thing I want to point out is that these marriage breakers really break down into three categories. There are kind of three rough categories of marriage breakers that when you see them, if you're aware of them and they kind of start to rear their ugly head in the reality of your marriage, you can be aware of them and run from them as fast as you possibly can. The first category is the category of resentment. Resentment crops up when you start feeling certain things towards your spouse negatively about things they've done way back in the past and attributing current behavior to those feelings. You kind of start going, I don't even like her anymore. I don't even like him anymore. I don't feel that way, but I'm just pointing this out hypothetically. Resentment rears its ugly head. The second one would be rage. Rage is that kind of just barely controlled or maybe even rarely controlled anger that, that, that comes out and it erupts at a moment's notice. That rage. And then the third category is the category of revenge. Revenge is when we begin playing a zero-sum game where there has to be a winner and a loser and we're more concerned with getting even than getting right. And that is absolute poison, particularly in the case of marriage. And, and going back to Julie's illustration just a second ago about the walls, what these things show us and tell us when we see them, and every relationship is vulnerable. Every relationship is susceptible to these things. But when we see them, we realize that Satan has then penetrated the perimeter of our marriage. We realize then that this evil behavior, these choices that we make, has, have now penetrated the perimeter of our marriage, and we are no longer a safe place for each other. And that is not what God has in store for us. But I love, though, in Ephesians where, um, you know, Paul, he gives us the things not to have, but the beauty of it is he follows up immediately with what to replace those negative um, feelings and actions with. Look at verse 31. I'm going to read 31 and then immediately following 32. Get rid of the bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. That was the resentment, the rage, and the revenge. And instead, when you get rid of that, now replace it with, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There he gives us the solution. He doesn't just say, don't be mad and leave it at that. He says, hey, you know, here's a great way to get rid of that anger. Replace it with kindness. Number one, a marriage maker. We talked about the three marriage breakers. Now the answer, the first marriage maker is kindness. This is one of the first things we teach our children. Be kind to one another. Be kind to your friends. Be kind to your siblings. And then we grow up into adults. We get married and we live together and then it's harder when you're with someone all the time. What I've noticed about myself is that because we spend so much time together, because this is the closest human relationship that I have, I find that my human nature creeps in because I'm born with a predisposition towards self-preservation and self-promotion. That's human nature, it creeps in. And instead of extending kindness, I'm more likely to just begin 
expecting kindness. Mm. I expect more from Mac and I extend less of myself when in the reality when in reality what I should be doing is extending kindness no matter what. That's the key there. Extending kindness no matter what. It does not say be kind when your spouse deserves it. Be <laughs> kind in response to your spouse's kindness. Be kind when everything is going just right. It just says be kind. Be kind. It's so simple. As a matter of fact, if you've heard us talk about marriage very much, you've probably heard me quote the Gottman studies. The Gottman Institute um, is run by John Gottman, and he has, he's a psychologist that has studied relationships for over four decades. And I kind of started diving into his studies, and I loved it, and I couldn't figure out what I love so much about it. And just as we prepared for this, I told Mac, I go, I figured it out. I think I know why I love his study so much. I believe that, oh, I can't tell you that yet. John Gottman <laughs> divides the marriages into two categories. He divides marriages. He's observed couples. He's observed many relationships, and he divides them into two categories. They're the masters, and they're the disasters. What I love about what the Gottmans have figured out is that what distinguishes the master marriage from the disaster marriage has nothing to do with fixed traits, physical characteristics. It's not anything about your upbringing. It's not anything about your educational level. You know what distinguishes the masters from the disasters? It's choices you make. It's behaviors. So, in other words, it's something I can do. It's something I can choose. Mac and I can choose to put our marriage in the master category simply by decisions that we make and actions we take. That means that if today you say, oh, I'm in the disaster category. I want my marriage to be a masterful marriage, but we're in the disaster. Good news. You know what all the studies showed? There are two characteristics of those healthy, happy marriages. And by the way, three out of 10 marriages are healthy and happy. Three out of 10. Oh, I want to be in one of those three out of 10. The Aren't good you? news. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. But you know, you know I, that's a great point, man, though. Man, one day, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I'm so hopeful. <laughs> I believe <laughs> there are decisions we can make and actions we can take Awkward. <laughs> to put ourselves into that category. Here are the two characteristics <laughs> that the Gottmans observed, generosity and kindness. You know, they weren't doing a, a Bible study or a biblical study of people. They were just studying people. And lo and behold, when they studied people, they discovered that God's Word works best. I'm not saying they realized that it was actually God's Word, but we know from God's Word that He commands generosity and kindness. And so the answer to put your marriage into the master category is to extend kindness. Let me tell you something just real quick as an aside. All truth is God's truth. If something's true, if it's real, then you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt it originates in God. Now, how it plays out, that can, that can take a lot of different forms, but all truth is God's truth. So what the Godmans are doing, they're not, they're not fabricating new reality. They're just observing 
pre-existing reality and truth. I just thought I'd throw that out there. And some people, it's true, it's easier to be kind to some people than others, and some people <laughs> have an easier time being kind than others. But if you are a Christ follower, if you have stepped into a relationship yeah. with Jesus Christ, and you know that the moment you stepped into the relationship with Christ, that the Holy Spirit entered your life, then from Galatians 5, we know this, but the Holy Spirit produces the, this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is a snoot full of happy marriage right there. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who would want to be married to that? Here's the deal. I am. The I Holy thought. Spirit provides that, but now I have to choose to implement that. Yeah, yeah. The second thing that you see where it says, be kind to one another Tender-hearted. Now, that, that's a great word, and I think here in church, we, oh, tender-hearted. Yes, you preach that. Yes, sir. Go. But what does that mean? I mean, wh how do you, what does it mean to be tender-hearted? Biblical scholars believe that the original word is, is tough to translate because of the, the cultural differences, but it's really about empathy. It, it's about being compassionate. Not like, oh, but compassion means passion with. It means feeling with. And so empathy is a big deal in marriage. To be empathic or empathetic with your spouse means you choose, again, I choose to submit my wants, needs, and desires, what I'm feeling, to what I'm perceiving Julie wants, needs, and desires, and is feeling. Which means, by the way, guys especially, that we're actually thinking about it, <laughs> that we actually consider, oh yeah, she has wants, needs, and desires and feelings. Maybe I should do something about that. You feel me? That's what it's talking about. Empathy is a big, big deal. And again, this is a choice that we make to put ourselves in the shoes of the other person, to look at our spouse and think, not what do I want from her or what does she want from me? But what can I give to her to meet her needs in this moment, in this season, at this place and where we are in our marriage and in our life? It's funny, when you date each other, we're all about the empathy. Man, dating is all about empathy. What does she like to eat? What kind of movies does she like? I'm going to bathe and brush my teeth, all that kind of stuff. But then somehow, after we get married, men and women, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to retire our spouse winning jersey and lift it up to the rafters where it begins to collect dust. And we're like, ah, you want to hang out at home? Yeah, let's just hang out at home. Yeah, I'll have peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That'd be good. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to shave. I'm not, I'm not going to bathe today. We're married. You know I love you. That is poison to a marriage. When we get married, we should begin even more so working on empathy and, and beginning to discern what is it that she or he needs, wants in this situation. I, we, I have a picture that I'm so excited to share with you. We, I found this picture. We've been looking for this for months. And I think it perfectly captures empathy. This is from when Julie and I were dating. This picture is about circa 1988-ish or so. Look at that. Now, you're saying, where, where's the empathy? I was trying to empathize with Julie what it was like to have more hair than she had at the time. 
I can't do that anymore. But I can absolutely, we can take that down quickly. I can absolutely. That was so, that was before good sunscreen. Did anybody notice that sunscreen in my hand? That was like sundown. You remember that? You, you put it on, and then when you came in from out of the sun, you just peeled it off. You know? But, but that empathy is really and truly thinking about where is she coming from in this moment? How do I allow God to love her through me? How do I invite the Holy Spirit of God to love him through you? That's empathy. And in an ideal relationship, in an ideal marriage, in God's design, both spouses are working on that together. Yeah. Both spouses are working on being kind. Both are working on being empathetic. But the truth is that all three marriage makers, these commands that God gives us in Ephesians, that are for every relationship, really it doesn't depend on the behavior of the other spouse. You see, I can be kind no matter what. I can be empathetic no matter what. It is my choice to make my marriage better. Trust me when I tell you I've tried to control Max's behavior. <laughs> it just doesn't work. But the truth of the matter is, it's, I'm supposed to control my behavior only. I choose to be kind. I choose to be empathetic. And finally, the third marriage maker, forgiveness. Hmm. There has never been a marriage that survived. There has certainly never been a marriage that thrived that did not have an abundance of grace and forgiveness. You see, marriage by definition is two humans, a.k.a. two sinners, coming together and living in the same home. The closest human relationship there can be. And because they are humans, I mean, probably you have to be married for about half an hour, maybe a day, to have the opportunity to give forgiveness and to receive yeah. forgiveness. It is part of every relationship, and it certainly must be part of marriage. And it's something that we do over and over. Forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is something that should just be a part of our daily lives. I don't know how many of you have ever run or walked around Town Lake, but when I walk, I don't run, but when I walk around Town Lake, I'll notice after a little while that I'll have the little gravel in my shoe, the little rocks in my shoe. And so I have a choice at that point. I'm walking, I can feel the rocks in my shoe. I have a choice. I can stop. I can take off my shoe, dump out the rock, or I can just keep walking. If I keep walking, sometimes the rocks are pretty substantial. If I keep walking on it, it just becomes more and more uncomfortable. Maybe I'll get used to it a little bit, but eventually it will cause a stone bruise. It's just like forgiveness. You see, I allow it into my life. I allow that bitterness or that resentment or that unforgiveness into my life. It's like a rock in my shoe. I can choose to keep walking. Eventually, it will cause more pain or... I can stop. I can stop what I'm doing. I can address the forgiveness. I can take it, dump out the rocks. What I'm trying to say, tell you is dump out those rocks. Dump out the rocks of bitterness. Dump out the rocks of resentment. It's your choice. Actually, forgiveness is not even dependent on an apology. Hmm. I can choose to forgive regardless of whether or not he is even aware of my forgiveness. It is my choice. That is in my hands. I love this, from, um, this exchange between Peter and Jesus from the book of Matthew. Matthew 18 quotes, 
Then Peter came to him, came to Jesus. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Just for the record, we know Peter was married. Seven <laughs> times? And Jesus replied, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. He wasn't giving a precise number. He was saying, whatever number you're thinking, it's a lot more than that. It is part of your DNA. It is part of your marriage. Constant forgiveness. Why? Because that's how relationships work. It is a choice I can make. Forgiveness, the definition, is the decision or the choice to abandon anger, bitterness, or resentment. The decision or the choice to let go of the anger, the bitterness, and the resentment. That's up to me. I can run with the rock in my shoe, or I can stop, dump it out, and then start anew. It's the same thing with marriage. And I believe unforgiveness leads to the resentment, which leads to contempt. And when contempt enters a marriage, it is a downward spiral from there. But good news, Jesus came that we might live and have life to the full, a marriage better than we could ask or imagine. And so we allow him to enter to provide that forgiveness. And we know for a fact that our marriage can be better and we can forgive. It's a choice that we make. You know, I think forgiveness is one of those things that I have done this in the past. And, and I'll, I'll be totally candid with you. I, I about several years ago, I discovered that forgiveness is not something we give somebody else. Forgiveness is something we give ourselves. You see, I was holding on to unforgiveness because I didn't feel like the other person or people deserved to be forgiven, which, for the record, is horrible thinking. That's, that's just a bad way to do life. It's not, it's not my shot to call who deserves what. That's God's business. But forgiveness is a choice that we make inside of ourselves to let go of that anger, rage, resentment, etc. And when we let it go, doesn't mean we let the other person off the hook or we say, oh, you know, the fact that you were a complete jerk at dinner the other night doesn't even matter anymore. That's not what we're doing. We're letting go of the resentment that we're harboring in our lives. That's a gift that we give to ourselves. So forgiveness is a Big, big deal. But I want to point out something very, very quickly, just as we kind of wrap this up today. If you look at the marriage makers of kindness and empathy and forgiveness, those are, those are choices we make, as we all said out loud together, it's my choice. We, we get that. But again, I want to point out that this is where the gospel takes root. This is where the gospel begins to actually put shoe leather down on the ground in our lives. And we have an example. The kindness and the empathy and the forgiveness of Jesus is not just there for us to experience and enjoy. It's there for us to learn from. Look at the life of Jesus. No one has ever been kinder than Jesus. No one. And, and look at how people were drawn to him. Look at the types of people that were drawn to Jesus the prostitutes, the professional con men, soldiers from the Roman Empire. They were, there was something about his kind that drew them to him. That, that kindness is magnetic. It's attractional. You think about the empathy of Jesus. It, it was empathy that, 
that motivated Jesus to abandon heaven and occupy earth. Not only did he identify with us emotionally, he identified with us spiritually and physically. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us on the cross. He became my sin. He became your sin. This is what theologians refer to as substitutionary atonement. He was there in my place, in your place. He paid the penalty. There is no greater empathy than that which Jesus gives us. And then the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God which removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. This forgiveness is there for us, but it's also there as an example to us. If God can forgive me, who can I not forgive? So it's there as an example, but I think it's imperative that we remember the opportunity to experience these things, to experience the life that is truly life, begins and ends and is sustained in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why no religion will ever work. No religion satisfies this need that we have. Jesus extends kindness and empathy and forgiveness, not for a religion, but for a relationship to connect with us personally. And what Jesus did through the cross and in his resurrection was repair the relationship that my sin or your sin ruptured between us and God. And so I, I kind of feel like, Julie and I feel like, when we gather together on the weekend, we are always looking at the gospel, but we're looking at how the gospel plays out. Because all roads lead to the cross. Every part of life takes us back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and the opportunity that we have to live in a relationship with him. And, and it's, it's not about just going to church. It's about following Jesus. It's about knowing him. It's about responding to his amazing grace initiative. You know, Amazing Grace, the song, is the most powerful song ever written. I, I, don't, I don't know how you could argue that. It's, it's not included in Scripture. It came centuries after the Bible was, was canonized and, and codified. But there's something in those words, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now in Jesus I'm found. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. It was grace that brought me near. It's grace. It's this grace that Jesus extends to anyone who would receive it. And so, in just a moment, we want to give you the opportunity to receive that grace, to respond to Jesus, not just about marriage, but about every part of life, to step into that relationship. And the Bible is very clear. All it takes from, on our part is everything. Just surrendering every part of life to the only one who will never take advantage of our surrender. The only one who can take our surrender and turn it into something beautiful. And so if you're here today and you want to begin that relationship, in just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray. 
a prayer of beginning, a prayer of surrender and commitment, but to step into that relationship with God in Jesus. I want to ask everybody, if you will, just bow your heads for a brief moment. And if you want to begin that relationship, if you want to step into that relationship with God in Jesus, you just pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment personally and definitively. Just silently, right where you are, just silently talk to God right now. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I accept your amazing grace right here, right now, once and for all. And from this moment forward, I will follow you with everything I've got. I confess my sin. Jesus, I receive your grace and forgiveness. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. For just another second, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. But if you just prayed that prayer, you need to know a couple of things. Number one, this is the greatest moment of your life. And you're surrounded by people who want to help, who want to be a family of faith to you, with you. We need you. We, we want to be in this with you. And so before you leave today, I want to ask you, if you will, just open up that program that you got when you came in today and fill out the Connect card that's in there. Your name, contact information that you're comfortable with, we, we always keep that in-house. It, it never goes anywhere. But it's just for our purposes to begin a dialogue and a relationship and a connection with you. And place and just mark there on that card, I'm committing my life to Christ this week. And before you leave today, tear that card off at the perforation and just hand it to somebody. Maybe one of our ushers who has the Lake Hills Church shirt on or one of our hosts or greeters somewhere. And just tell them just briefly, just say, hey, today was my day. So that we can begin the process of coming alongside and helping any way that we can. Of being a family of faith together. And then the second thing I want you to know is that this is the greatest moment of your life. And so if that was your prayer today, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you just raise your hand? And as you raise your hand, I ask you to do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, there will come another moment where you will wonder if this was real, if it, if it actually happened and what did it mean. And by raising your hand, you stamp this moment in your mind and in your heart forever. And that matters. And then as a church family, our, our family tradition, as you put your hands down, as we put our hands together, and we love to tell you, welcome home. <laughs> welcome home.